What's up, friends? Welcome to Beyond the Cover with me, your host, Becky Kahn. We have a really, really, really special episode planned for you today. I have a room full of some warriors for the kingdom, and I'm going to allow each one of them to kind of introduce themselves today because it is a roundtable approach. So you guys take it away. Why don't we start with you, you guy. Me? <laughs> yeah, you. <laughs> okay, my name is Josh Me, and I am a pastor at a church. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, also I work for a program called, or uh, a business called Apartment Life, uh, where we train urban missionaries uh, as event coordinators to uh, put on events in apartment communities and transform lives through apartment communities. So I'm a program director for that. I'm also an ex-youth pastor. I have a podcast called the Ex-Youth Youth Pastors Podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> Whatever. Okay, next. That part's a joke. <laughs> Mike Rose is with Uprising Society. Mm. See how he gave you wow. gave your whole bio. Come on, that Mike. Mike um, he, he's had Mike's leg. Like, they'll just know who I am because of my yeah, name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you can just say Mike, and they know who it is. Right? Uh, who else we got? Who else uh, we got? Uh, Matt uh, Hammerski. I am the uh, lead pastor of uh, a church called Risen Nation, and yeah, just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And the last and the least, I am um, Evan, Amen. and I <laughs> I am the youth pastor at uh, the same church, Risen Nation. All right. Um, so today, guys, we are going to be talking about reaching the next generation, the lost generation that some like to call it. I don't particularly like that um, that tag, uh, but Generation Z, if you will. Uh, so. Everybody around this table is, is, was a pastor, um, particularly youth. Mike, you have a heart and a passion for the next generation. Um, I don't know if you were a youth pastor. I have no idea. Oh, yeah. He was a youth pastor. Okay. Um, then he was a youth evangelist. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so we all, everybody here brings to the table just a, a passion and a, and a heart for, for our students, ultimately, um, the, the next generation. So that's all the way up to... Past Evan's age, even though he's old. Um, (laughs) So really what I wanted to focus on today, because I think that the church as a whole is is missing the mark, um, if you will. And I, I, I have a desire to empower people ultimately like let's let's talk about it what's not being talked about why are we quote unquote missing this lost generation what are we doing that we should should be doing and what are we doing that we shouldn't be doing and all the things in between um and i know there's not a perfect recipe i get it Mm -hmm. because we're all people and we're all a little bit different and so are so are these kids quote unquote um and so We're not going to be all, all of us are not going to be reached the same way, right? But the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. Jesus is Jesus is Jesus, right? So I want you guys to kind of give some insight on where you are with that, what what it looks like for you guys in youth ministry and just in life in general, reaching our our next generation. So take it away, guys. (laughs) Everybody jump in. Okay, I'll help you. So I... Mike Rosas, that is sitting at the table, he wrote a book, Leading the Revolutionary Generation. Um, I'm not sure how long ago you wrote this book. Uh, 2019. 2019. 
So I read the book, and then last night I, I was telling, I was sharing with you beforehand that I, I went back and kind of looked at something that caught my attention before. So the next generation has been created to be on offense, not defense, which I thought was super interesting, right? Um, God is saying the next generation is called to be bold and on offense. They are going to go to the places where the devil thought he would make them fall. And they are going to set the other captives free rather than becoming captives themselves. Hmm. Man, that's it. Because here's the thing. Our students, our kids, the next generation, they, they are willing to go places that my generation was not willing to go. And they're willing to put themselves out there for a cause. And that's different than when, I, I mean, even and not me growing up, I didn't grow up in church necessarily, but it's different than what I feel like my generation was, where it was more like we were, we were falling behind what mom and dad did, you know? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily that we, that we got behind a certain cause. These guys are gonna get behind a cause, good or bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they're gonna forward it, good or bad. So what are we doing to help them create the cause for Christ is ultimately where I'm at. So what were, what, Mike, we'll start with you. What were you, whenever you wrote this portion of the book, like share with me, share with us what, where you were coming from with that. So uh, in that place, my brain space was the fact that, you know, I've studied over 75 revolutionaries who have shaped nations, uh, good, bad, and the ugly. <clears throat> and the majority of them were youth. And as I studied their lives, um, the majority of them got education in a different nation than the one they grew up in. And then they went back to that nation and held the revolution. Mm. So you think about us as believers, the Bible says we're in this world, but not of it. So even though we grow up in this world, we're supposed to get our education from another nation, from another world, the kingdom of God. Mm. And the hope is that we come back to our nation and bring revolution there. But I think it comes back from the place of, I have a friend, Marcus Young, who runs uh, AK-47 Ministries. He saves child soldiers. So he talked about this one 12-year-old kid that he saved that uh, by the time he saved him at the age of 12, he had, uh, he had pulled off four political assassinations, a 12-year-old. Why? Because you see a mayor being killed, the last person you think is a 10-year-old. Right. And so, um, but he told me how this kid became who he was. At the age of eight, his handler would take him to the beach every morning, but would get five seashells and would throw up one at a time, and he would have to shoot five seashells in a row before he could get breakfast at the age wow. of eight. Now, if you are placed as an eight-year-old who comes to the church, they hand him a coloring book with Jesus and say, color Jesus. Yeah. And so the reality is that it brings us back to Luke 16. Jesus talks in, in something that really captivated my attention. Um, he talks about the unjust steward almost in a positive light, like he's doing things right. Now, we know that Jesus would never call wrong right, but what he says is that this unjust steward was doing what was in his allotment of weapons to do. He lied, cheat, and steal. And so Jesus turns to the disciples after this parable, and he says, children of darkness in this generation are more cunning or shrewd than the children of light. And so what the Lord was ministering to me is that he's sending out a generation that is in response Mm -hmm. to that challenge, Mm -hmm. that is going to be more shrewd than the children of darkness. It is going to be more cunning than the children of darkness. But it's up to us to empower father, mother, and release them into that space so they have the confidence that not only are we sending them, but we're going with them in prayer. Mm -hmm. So they have the boldness to go into the darkness and understand light is always greater. Yeah, yeah. I think that part of where we're missing some of it is that we've we've been in a place where we are trying to, like you said, give the 8-year-old the color book, but give the the 15-year-old, like, hey, shut your mouth. What you're saying is not important. Mm -hmm. What you think is not important. I know best. 
Um, they're not feeling like they're heard. They're not feeling like they matter in the church, in the world, mm-hmm. you know. And so ultimately, they're trying to make a space for themselves and make a voice for themselves. And how can we, I mean, everybody kind of chime in, you know, but how how can we not give the eight-year-old the coloring book? Like, what does that look like practically? And what does it look, what has it looked like for you guys in your ministry? Um, well, I know when I was doing student ministry, it was... One of the big things that really changed everything that I was doing was I stopped assuming that they couldn't understand yeah. deeper things. You know what I mean? I just I just started giving them things without trying to run it through some filter of like, oh, let me see if I can maybe get it down to where they can understand it better yeah. just because they're teenagers or just because they're 12, 13 years old. Instead, just giving them the full deal and just yeah. being like, hey, you can do this. You can, you know, giving them responsibility. Um, you know, I think what you said at the beginning was totally dead on though with culture in the church is that we we seem to always be at least in what I grew up in we were always behind culture yeah. like we were always trying to catch up like that like we were trying to be relevant but by the time we got relevant right. we were already 10 years behind yeah. Yeah. so like it, it which is silly because when you have the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. right I mean you should you should be seeing things in the you should be in the future yeah, yeah. you know yeah. I mean I mean Jesus is the future mm-hmm. so like I you know one that's, more time for the people in the back so that's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but he is. He is the future. And I think um, we've just, um, we've, we, I don't know if it's because we're lazy. I don't know if it's because we, um, I don't know, are afraid of compromising traditions, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big problem as well. Uh, you know, we prioritize our rituals and our traditions yeah. over actually spreading the kingdom of God, um, you know, or actually uniting. Uh, you know, here recently I've been a part of some events that has been really cool of seeing, um, you know, youth ministries come together from different denominations. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were a part of a camp that we did together with this guy. Yeah. Uh, and so, Yeah, it changed you know, the lives of many people. Yeah, yeah. yes, it, it did. Mm-hmm. So uh, this guy, yeah, he was yeah, attending. Yeah, it changed my life. Yeah. Those kind of things, though, being willing to get out of the box and yeah. just say, hey, we want to just see God move and we want to see the kingdom go forward, whatever that looks like. Um, and really engaging in offense and not playing defense. Yeah. You know, because we, we shouldn't, we should be moving forward and advancing and not holding back, you know. And uh, we say this often, but we talk about, you know, the, um, uh, how Christ talks about the church, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail. Right. Well, gates are defensive structures, you know. We mm-hmm. should be attacking, we should yes. be going through. And we, mm-hmm. we, and we say that a lot, and people, you know, I don't think really get that. They think they're being attacked, even though they're not even approaching yeah. the gates. Right. So. Right. It's like you're yeah. you're not doing anything. Why are we getting attacked? Uh, so yeah. you know, just just some of the things that I think of when I think about reaching this generation that we have to. What Mike was exactly what Mike was saying. We need to be. We should be cunning. We should be clever. We should be strategic. Uh, you know, we should be creative. Um, the idea. So as these kids out. are, yeah. you know like stampeding the gates of hell mm-hmm. and, and, and even though they may not even realize some of them are doing it in a sense of like I'm not doing this as a, as a case for Christ I'm, I'm just doing this because you know my friend's doing it okay so we've got that but how are we coming alongside those that are you know or that do want to but then they feel stifled because they're they're you know that whatever it is whatever reason we can come up with a hundred different ways but how are we coming alongside them to <clears throat> Stomp, you know, stampede with humility. I think when, when, when I, I love that you're saying you're, like they're going after it, they're attacking, and so we have to let them lead mm-hmm. and let them make mistakes at the same time. We can't um, be like he was saying too religious and too um, conformity and ritual, and this is the routine, and this is what it has to look like. Like, 
no, not every youth group has to look the same. Like, we're all for Jesus, so why does it matter? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like let them, let them lead the youth group. It's their group. It's not the pastor's group. It's their group. Let the congregation lead their own church. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, just humility. That's good. You know, it takes... It takes a tremendous amount of humility to be a almost 40-year-old and take the lead of a 17-year-old. I mean, if you're just looking at it from an age standpoint. Yeah. And I say that from so my, my speaking daughter. speaking for Josh? I'm or? speaking for Josh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but my, my children, 21, 17, 14, mm-hmm. right? And then we got a four-year-old now. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. Um, so, but... I, I for so long was like, you know, being, being a student pastor and being kind of in that role and expecting them, okay, you guys follow my lead. What's well, a whole different dynamic when it's your kid, right? And then you almost don't hear them even more whenever it's your kid because you've got all these filters on all the things that they are and aren't, you know? So, um, but when I finally did kind of start hearing, in particular, my 17-year-old daughter, like she, she is one of those people. She is what we are talking about, where she will get behind a cause oh, yeah. and she it will be to the death, yeah. you know. And I'm like, okay, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing other than just continually like if she's got a flame, I'm putting putting a, a vase over it. Like mm. she's got, I'm putting a vase over every single time. You know, I put my input, and it may be valuable input, but at the end of the day, I'm not allowing her to lead. You know, I'm not coming alongside her. So. How are we doing that in student ministry now? How are you doing that, Evan? Like with the students that you are leading yeah. in this moment? Yeah, Evan, how are you doing that? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I guess um, just letting letting them like they hear they hear the same Holy Spirit that I do. So not disqualifying that. Like even if it sounds ridiculous and silly, and I'm thinking like that is definitely not Holy Spirit. I just let them do it, yeah. and obviously to a certain extent, right? But let them make mistakes. Let them hear their voice for himself so they don't have to come to me and say, well, Pastor Evan, like, I don't know if this is God, if this isn't God. No, I'm letting them get their own experience. Let them, let them read the word on their own, right? Not, I'm not saying I neglect them. I'm not just, like, leaving them, you know, to themselves. But at the same time, you know, it's like the kid, you, you know, you, you tell your kid, don't touch the flame. You can tell them all day, but until they actually touch it and they learn that it's hot, they won't fully believe you, you know what I mean? And so um, just letting them step out and... Um, be, and I guess again, just being humble, and just letting letting them take over. You know, if they if if you know one of my students comes up to me during the service and says, "Hey, Pastor, Evan, I feel like we should be praying about this," and I'm like, uh, "Okay, you do it. Go ahead. You lead the prayer. You go. You know what I mean? Or if I want to, you know, hey, I, I wish we could, you know, sing this worship song. I, okay, let's sing it. You know, not to say that I, I don't have a voice, obviously, but um, I like you know, it's their it's their group." I want them to, to feel encouraged. I want them to be excited to show up for their group. And so when it becomes something that they can uh, possess and that they can lead, like you were saying, that they can spearhead, their friends will just come because their friends are leading it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're not getting talked at, right? Like I may be preaching at them, but they're the ones that are talking back, asking questions, coming up to me afterwards saying, what was that scripture? You know what I mean? Um, you know, it, it, it blessed my heart a couple months ago when I found out that one of my students was taking notes. And, it, like, I literally almost made me cry. I was like, wow, like, you feel 
that I bring some type of value to your life, like that's incredible to me, and, and that they're just running off with that, and they're they're starting, you know, Youth for Christ in their schools and all these things, and you know, some of it fails and some of it, uh, you know, works out perfectly. But I'm just like, just keep trying, just just keep going, just keep going, you know, just run as fast as you possibly can. I, I think to speak to, uh, I have a, a youth group administrator from time to time, and um, it's purely student led, and you know, the pastor preaches, but. Uh, I'll be honest, the worship's really bad. The, the voices aren't great. The <laughs> announcements, they mess up. Um, but he's given them that space yeah. to become. And so, you know, I grew up in the Spanish church. In the Spanish church, uh, the pastor will put his kids on drums at five years old. The pastor will put his own kids on guitar. And so these Hispanic kids that grew up in churches of 50, 60 members are now the musicians at the biggest churches around America. Right. I literally have countless friends who their pastors are, are still pastoring their parents pastoring 45 member churches and their kids are playing in front of 20,000 seat auditoriums. Why? Because they gave them that space mm-hmm. to learn under the anointing and to move mm-hmm. into that. So they allowed their church to be messy, right? Proverbs talks about, you know, where there's no oxen, it's clean, but where the oxen is, there's mess, mm-hmm. but there's great gain. And so I think you position it from that place of, hey, like, like there's going to be some mess ups. You communicate it to the people, but then you say, we are going to empower this generation to go yeah. further and faster and holier than we ever could. Yeah. Well, providing a place, you know, I think you look at what Jesus, you know, that's usually my advice is, is what did Jesus do <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and how did he lead? And you, even with the disciples, you disciples on? Yeah, no. the disciples, the disciples, um, were, I mean, were really bad at like everything that Jesus gave them to do. And he never took it away from them. He never said, oh man, that's it. You're gonna have to go on a six month course and we're gonna have to rework this. You know, I mean like literally at one point they wanna call down fire and destroy this entire town. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like that's not Hold who up. we are, guys. Uh, but he still continues to empower them, continues. I mean, at one point they see somebody else uh, you know, casting demons out in Jesus' name, praying in Jesus' name, and they're like, Jesus, should we stop them? And Jesus is like, that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, no. <laughs> like, why would we do that? Right. <laughs> but he still right. doesn't put them on the sidelines. He just, he walks them through it and says, no, no, no. Yeah, of course. You know, he teaches. Yeah. And he continues to empower. And even though it's a mess, even though they drop the ball, he continues to empower them. I think that's where we stop because we think, oh, well, this person dropped the ball on me before, so I'm, I'm done with them. Like, you know, I mean, who, who are they to drop mm-hmm. the ball on me? You know what I mean? We yeah. get this kind of arrogant thing going, yeah. uh, whereas Jesus just continued to pick the ball up and put it back in their hands and say, hey, it's cool. You got it. Yeah, you know, keep again. going. And, and like, so I, I think it does, you know, I look at this as, as also when you talk about generations, you know, my generation and millennials, uh, I mean, we have this disconnect between what you call the boomers. Mm-hmm. It's just huge disconnect. And so I think it is on our generation, which Mike really, I mean, wrote that book to the millennial generation. Yeah. And uh, it, I think it really is down to our generation to make that connection to previous generations and then reach forward mm-hmm. to Generation Z and, and beyond that. Right. Um, you know, but I mean, I've experienced that of, of people trying to stifle who I am because it didn't fit their mold. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even I mean, even when we first started the church and like it was one of the first little sermon clips we did from one of my messages and, and I was wearing a snapback hat and just, you know, just being me and uh, we promoted it and it got a bunch of views and stuff like, so it started getting comments from people that weren't connected at all. And this one guy, I remember comments, I'll probably never forget this. He comments on it, he's like, oh great, another snapback preacher, blah, blah, blah. Like just ripping it up. I'm like, dude, I don't even know who you are, bro. Like, Did so, you listen to it? <laughs> so sure, that, sure. that, you know, but still, it, it is that you, 
this generational thing. Oh, well, that's just the millennials, and they're they're you know wanting to water down the word of God and blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, man, I have so much passion for the word of God. Yeah. You know, but we do. We get these kind of ideas in our heads that you know yeah. you know boomers don't want to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, millennials don't care about tradition and, and don't care about any of that. They just want to leave it all. Putting everybody in their own little yeah. big boxes, right? And yeah. so, but that's. You know, I mean, and you've heard me say, like, bridging the gap is, mm-hmm. is always, like, it's just a part of my heart, right? And so it's bridging the generational gaps, bridging the gaps between denominations, bridging, like, allowing the church to be the church, you know, and that includes everybody from birth to 105, you know, and, and beyond. If you're 110 and listening, you're included. Um, so, and everyone. So how, th- this is the practical side of it, it takes... No one's exempt. Mm-hmm. Everybody at this table can be a part of that. Everybody that's listening can be a part of that. But strategy without execution is just a good idea, right? So how do we how do we execute on that? How does it become more than just a good idea to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to come behind or come alongside or come whatever? Like, what is that? What has that looked like practically, Josh? In the way that you have led your students and and you guys, how you've led your students? Like, what does that look like practically? from a standpoint of the listeners, like, okay, well, I want to come alongside them. I want to be a part of this. I want to help bridge this gap, but I have no idea how to do that. What does that look like practically? Um, it's spiritual parenting. So the reason why this generation is the lost generation is because they're also the fatherless generation. And they're quite literally, physically, biologically fatherless, also spiritually fatherless. Nobody is coming around this generation to be a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to them. Mm-hmm. So um, it's kind of like, it's the idea of if you wanna, if you raise your kids, you can spoil your grandkids, but if you spoil your kids, you have to raise your grandkids. <laughs> good. Okay, And so All that's right. what the church has done, is mm-hmm. we spoiled one generation and lost that generation. And now it's our job to raise the next generation because the people who should be spiritual parents are also lost, you mm-hmm. know, our generation, the generation before us. And so nobody wants to come alongside them. And also, in the generations in the past, they didn't understand discipleship. The churches I've been a part of, they don't understand what it means to disciple or make disciples. They think it's the job of the pastor to make disciples and the job of the evangelist to save people. Mm. Literally save people, not Jesus, the evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so nobody is willing or even knows how to spiritually parent. So discipleship is spiritual parenthood. And so it's our job to raise up. And when we say raise up the next generation, what are we saying? Mm-hmm. Quite literally raise them in the faith. Take, take them by the hand. If they're spiritual infants, we need to nurture them, spend a lot of time with them, feed them. You know, we say, why don't they feed themselves? They don't know how to feed themselves. Babies don't feed themselves. Parents feed the babies. Mm -hmm. And so we have to feed them. We have to nurture them. And we have to grow them into maturity. And the Holy Spirit helps us and uses us to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's lack of spiritual parenting. So the cure is just take them out for coffee, for lunch, go to the mall, spend time with them. Be there for them. Listen to their problems that seem petty, but they're they're big deal to them. Invest in their lives. Um, the next, the other problem is this: um, we grew the church at the expense of growing the people. Mm-hmm. So we 
you know, what me, Mike, you, and Matt grew up in in the 90s and early 2000s was church growth, attractional movement. And we, we wanted to grow the church because our pastors had big egos and wanted popularity and, and were puffed up for pride. We grew the church at the expense of growing the people. And one of the things I wrote down as um, we were talking is that I said, instead of being someone that the students want to follow and be like, the youth pastors are trying to be like the students. Wow. So to reach the students, to reach the students and be relevant to the students, we become like the students. Instead, we need to be like Jesus because this reality, they want somebody to follow. Mm-hmm. They do want somebody to follow. Yeah. So we don't need to follow them and be like them. We need to be somebody that they want to follow. That's good. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of the, of the cheesy youth pastor hype guy trying to fit in with all the lingo and the cultural references. Like, I'm so not. Like, I may be young, but I'm so not with you just that. I don't like it. Huh? You just did that naturally, brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, so right. I don't understand half your text. <laughs> well, no, well I, think, I think there's an aspect of that is, is the fact, no, that you know, we don't want to emulate them, but yeah. we do want to relate to them. Mm-hmm. There's, a thing yeah, called, yeah. Uh, there's a thing called NFT. It's a non-fungible token. And it's something that's really, it's gone viral. And so they're basically selling digital creations that you can purchase. And, um, and uh, older people and generations don't understand it. So, example, you can buy a clip of LeBron dunking on somebody that the NBA is selling. And it was just purchased for $26,000. Now, now you can Google, you can Google LeBron dunking over this person and find the same clip for free on YouTube. But they paid $26,000 to get the NFT that says it's the original. So why are they willing to spend that money? Because they value the real. And until we understand that a generation can see a real in the midst of something fake, then we'll never be able to understand how it is to connect them. So I 100% agree with Pastor Evan. It's not about matching the lingo, but it is about matching understanding their heart so that we can meet them where they're at and lead them to their calling and purpose. In the in the book, um, you know, I, I address how the church, you know, much to how we were talking about earlier, you know, the church created internships where we taught the youth uh, enough to be dangerous. But in, in generations past, there was apprenticeships. And it was where you stayed with somebody until you became better than them, and then they released you. And so I think we have to get back to that model where we keep them by our sides, releasing them, but mm-hmm. at, not until they're better than we are and mm-hmm. we bless them and honor them. That's good. That's good. That's exactly That's it. That's spot that. on. Yeah. So good. Well, you know, and I, to speak to what you, um, what you were saying, Evan, about not wanting to, like, I don't know, get with the lingo and the whatever. Like, mm-hmm. we've, we've had that conversation, yeah. right? And... Um, I, as a student pastor, I mean, I was just naturally cool. So that that just came naturally. Thank you. (laughs) But it was kind of funny to see the kids like kind of wiggle and squirm in their seat. They cringe. Yeah, they would cringe. Oh, that's cringy, right? Yeah. Like they would cringe. But whenever, I I will never forget, and you guys are probably going to be like, you did what? I had a a sermon series, which I know is our favorite around the table. I had a sermon series called Got Cake. You're welcome. (laughs) But it was elements (laughs) of a relationship with Jesus Mm. and taking, like, the sugar is something, the flour is something, the whatever of actual cake. Mm -hmm. But because I 
titled it Got Cake. They literally remember. Yeah. Like I, I don't know now, but <laughs> you know, because sometimes you're you feel like, am I am I speaking mm-hmm. to anyone? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes. And mm-hmm. so, like it was months later, kids would still reference something out of that yeah. out of that sermon. Yeah. And so, for me, that was one of those moments of like a, a, a turning point and like, okay, I do have to be relational. Like oh, I yeah. do have to to say dumb things like got cake to get uh, their attention sometimes, you know, but they rallied behind that, you know, and they ultimately took something from it. But go, go a step further as to what Mike, Mike was saying about, you know, not releasing them until they are better than you. And that's exactly, so you've got a sixth grader that comes up in your student ministry Mm -hmm. or for people that are listening, you've got a sixth grader that lives in your home. That's your neighbor. That's your whatever that you have the opportunity to literally walk out life with and be the example, be the imitator of Christ. You know, you can be the imitator of Christ and say, got cake. Okay. Because it's, it's ultimately how we live our life and, and not, it's what we do, not what Mm -hmm. we say. How many times do we say that? Right. So how are we imitating Christ in the way that we live that they do want to follow us? Because that's one. That's been one of my things for my my own children is that I want to be the person that my kids want to be. Yeah. Like not that they feel like they have to be, but that they want to be, that they desire to be like. Because I am so much like him, you know. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I, I love that. We actually have a a, dis, a discipleship program like at Risen Youth, and it's for that. It's that. It's that. It's that exact reason. I tell all my leaders like please don't come and try and be a leader if you're not willing to be their big brother and sister Mm -hmm. and not just on Friday night with our services or Sunday mornings. Like I'm talking 24 seven, you you have now adopted them into your family because it's that, just like Mike was saying, it's that serious. And it's not just like a, it's not a machine. Oh, they come in for six months, boom, we ship them out, new kids. No, no, no. It's forever. Like this, this is life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do they say? What's the statistic? 70% or something fall away from the church. Do y'all mm. know what that statistic like after high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know yeah. that there's different statistics anywhere from 50 to 70 percent. They, they typically too come, big. They, come, they come back after they get married and have kids. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. But you know, why? Why is that? What well, I think part of it is that we aren't doing what we're saying and that we're not discipling. Mm-hmm. We're not, um, you know, coming alongside them until they are better than we are, you know? I curious, I'm curious how much, though, that has to do with, too, of, of what Josh was mentioning earlier, that we just, we don't do discipleship, like real yeah. discipleship, because, like, you got these kids that go off to school, and, and as you know, I mean, plenty of colleges have certain views on the Bible that, sure. I mean, their whole thing is to dismantle what you believe. Uh, and, I mean, they literally have courses that they get you to unlearn what you believe so they can then fill your head with all sorts of other things. And so when you have kids going up that weren't properly discipled and they don't really know the word and they're not really sure why they believe what they believe they just went there and then not only that they don't really have close ties to too many people within their church even though they grew up there Mm -hmm. you know it's like you know instead if you really are i think doing discipleship really living life with people one they probably don't even want to go that far away from from this to go to school mm-hmm. because they don't want to be away from their family. Mm-hmm. And then from that, they've also, they know the truth. So even going to these being like, oh, this is the way I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm here to get a degree. I'm not really here to agree with you on everything because I don't believe that. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so, yeah. and then not only that, they still have continuous support 
from the people that they are doing life with, right? And the people that are discipling them, having spiritual mother and spiritual father and, and, you know, the people that they're discipling, you know, so it's this kind of flow that happens in real discipleship. And I think that is a big reason why we've seen this, just like Josh said earlier, you know, we were interested in growing the church and not the members. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, you, you do, you have this this formula that has worked. It says, well, if you do this like this and you do this like this, you'll have a big church. Yeah. And so, but the thing is, is they follow, they literally follow like a McDonald's model, like mm-hmm. a franchise mm-hmm. model. Yeah. And the problem with that is, is my generation, Gen Z, I mean, every generation coming up, they literally hate franchises mm-hmm. they want to find the niche coffee shop yeah. they want to find the their place yeah. you know they don't they don't want to go they, they i mean starbucks is downsizing mm-hmm. because like it's just not you yeah. know they they want to go to these little hole in the wall places mm-hmm. and find their spot and there and that's that's where this generation is headed and the church is already behind mm-hmm. yeah because they're still pitching the franchise model yeah and they're like no we want our own thing you yeah. know and so it, again, I think you're going to see a lot of things in the coming years uh, that will change. I mean, mm-hmm. just because it'll have to. But I, again, I hate seeing where the church has been at, which is like it's always playing catch up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like instead of being ahead of the curve, like instead of knowing that it's coming and already ready there, ready and waiting to present the gospel. They're there mm-hmm. already. I mean, that's what they do in marketing is, you know, uh, in sales and all that. They, they try to predict where the trends are going. And then, because they want to be there to sell you something right. when you get there. Right. Like, I mean, look at, look at, look, so millennials right now, we have every, our childhood is coming back. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we're going, we're buying all of it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're Probably so nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Like, we're like, because the 90s was such a profitable time. Mm-hmm. And like, there were so many things that came out in the 90s. And so now they're bringing it back. And because why? Because we have money now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, we're going to go buy it. And so they see this trend with us and they've gotten on it. Whereas instead of the church seeing where it's going, right, and being there ready to present the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, we're like trying to, oh, well, I don't really like what they're doing. And, oh, I don't, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> you know, and just being stubborn, like, yes. oh, well, this is yeah. just how we do it, you know, <laughs> instead yeah. of being willing to say, what Man, not to say. <laughs> yeah. How do we, how do we get again? How do we advance the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. And it's not, I, you know, I say this all the time. It's not about compromising the culture because we don't. We don't compromise the culture, but we do need to engage it, and not just engage it, but we need it to change it. Mm-hmm. Over. Yeah. And so, like, that's you know, be to, leading the conversation. To go to go a step further in that is that um, you know people can sniff out a fake. <clears throat> oh, yeah. So the authenticity has to be there, right? And so when you are for sure, right? Yeah, so that's exactly what I was if say. you're doing something to check off a box because you're quote unquote discipling somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And that can be an adult, young person, whatever that looks like. They 100% know that you're checking off the box. Mm-hmm. So the authenticity has to be there and the intentionality has to be there. And um, without those two things, and I think that if we are, we being everyone that's listening, us around the table, if we are being authentic in our relationship with Christ, then you can't help but spill out authenticity. Mm-hmm. Right? Because you, what's what's inside is spilling out. Yeah. And so people will, I know that people have said this, to, to every one of you, like, I just, I, I just feel like you love me. Like you're talking to somebody and they're like, I can, I can, I can see it in your eyes. I can feel it in the way that you're saying things. Mm-hmm. I can, you know, whatever. And you say, you say the right thing at the right time. Well, you know that that doesn't have anything to do with us. Mm-hmm. That has everything to do with allowing the Holy Spirit to lead. I, right? I don't, I don't feel like Josh loves me though. When he talks to me. <laughs> We're still working on that. Uh, okay. okay. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, I love you. Leave it. Um, but nothing is worse than, and I know that like we can all speak to it, like having leadership, right, in a, in a student ministry or just, and I keep going back to student ministry, but I don't want it to just be about that because at the end of the day, we are all, we're all called <laughs> to student to, ministry. Right? To student ministry, right? No, we're all we're all called. But just to, not going to get bigger. To so. to make disciples, and that's ultimately what it is, right? Is yeah. uh, whether it's leading you or leading the six year old or the sixteen year old or the sixty year old. Mm-hmm. Like this is, I'm speaking holistically here, right? So, like, I how do you can't teach authenticity, okay? But what you can do is model an authentic relationship with Christ, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so whenever we're modeling that in our life, then then people catch on and catch up. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that, you know, I'm taking that from a cultural standpoint and what you're talking about, mm-hmm. like we're always behind, but like you said, I mean, Jesus is the future, right? Mm-hmm. So like if we are like authentically chasing after him, and I know some people can pick that apart, but like, if we're really just in relationship with him, like how can we get behind? How can we? And I, I feel like that's where we're falling short is that mm-hmm. we're not as a church, as with a capital C, mm-hmm. we're not in authentic relationship with Jesus. And therefore, how can we, how can we spill that out onto the next generation mm-hmm. if we're not even doing it ourselves? Mm-hmm. And we can't. And the, and the question is, what is what does an authentic church look like? Mm. Um, and we have to go, you know, when you talk about revolution, revolution uh, is going back to the original. That's what a revolution is. It's going back to the way it was, um, the way it was intended to be. So when we talk about, when Mike talks about revolutions, um, it's the government or the society or the culture went far away from where it was intended to be, where it started. Mm. The revolution is, let's go back to that. And so how do we, the church needs a revolution. We call it revolution, reformation, revival. There's so many names for it, but we're all saying the same thing. And how do we go back to the way the church is supposed to be? And it's, they met, they de- met together daily. Uh, mm. They broke bread, but them, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, everybody having everything in common. Signs and wonders were done among them. Come and on. it was done among them, and it, but that was birthed out of their unity. And so the church is the most bright and most authentic when it's unified. And what the devil, his number one tactic, is to create division. Why? Because unity within a family, within a church, within a society is unstoppable. And it's attractive. And so to be an authentic church is to be a united church that cares for one another's needs, um, that's centered around Jesus only, that... Um, sees the Bible as sufficient in all things, not gimmicks, not yeah. trends, not the latest things. It's the Bible. We don't need anything else. Um, and so the question has to remain, how do we become, how does the church become authentic again? Like you said, of course, you can't make a copy of something that's authentic. <laughs> that's not authentic. <laughs> yeah. you know, cop- that's the very anti-definition of authentic. So the idea is, how do we get the kids to be authentic? How do we get this generation to become authentic? It's by helping them find their identity in Christ. Yeah. Because even pop psychology will tell you, um, you know, the goal of psychology or counseling or therapy 
is for you to become your authentic true self. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. How can I make you help you become your authentic self? In Christianity, it's how can we make you help you become who you are in Christ? I think Dallas Willard said, discipleship is being who Jesus is if Jesus were you. Hmm. And so hmm. who would Jesus be if Jesus were you? How would Jesus live your life? I like that. And that's the question we have to answer. We have to really take self-inventory. How would Jesus live my life? And then it's like a weight just falls on you when you have to answer that question. <laughs> like we all sat here. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> You'd probably be doing a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Well, <laughs> maybe drink less coffee. Yeah, I think, I, think, uh, the other, I think the other thing we battle here in America and right now in this generation, and it's, it's only getting worse, is this idea of being this individualism, you know, mm-hmm. this individual mm-hmm. and your truth and you be you yeah. and all you these kind of things. Boo. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, literally the gospel, you can't, I mean, I've heard people in, I mean, I've heard churches talk like this, of like, oh, well, you just be you. And like the the gospel doesn't, that's not what it calls for. It, it, it calls for you to die and be in Christ, yeah. to be hidden in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And so that I think that's the big problem as well. Is I think you, I think we've just had we've had so many years of not mm-hmm. preaching the truth, mm-hmm. and it's finally coming home to roost. Come on. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing it in the way people are living their lives. And I think uh, the, again, what we're battling now is being in, be individual. Who am I as an individual? Instead of saying that actually, I to even really know my true identity, I need to be in community that's centered around Christ. Mm-hmm. Like because without that, I'm not. You know, we talk about we have the mind of Christ. Well, we have the mind of Christ. Yeah. Like not just you. You know, mm-hmm. like Becky Kahn doesn't just have the mind of Christ. Yeah. She needs to be in community, and yeah. we have the mind of Christ. So he's called us to do this together. Amen. You know, I mean, that's that's a big thing. Just like you're saying, I mean, it's like it's like pulling teeth to get people to come to a once a week thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, hey, can we all gather? Well, I got this, and I got, and it's, and again, I get it. People are busy, but it's also priorities. Mm-hmm. Come on, community's not that big of a priority. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, once a week's enough. You know, but even now, oh, I tuned into the live stream. Oh. You know, like. Oh. What is that? If, it, if that offended <laughs> you, it's probably. It's so, I, well, that's what, <laughs> like, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm, I, I'm so thankful for technology. And it's great when, you know, you've gone on vacation and you can still tune in with what's going on at church. And that's great. Or you're sick. You know, it's all wonderful stuff. But unfortunately, it's now become this thing of where now the church is like, well, we, you know, and, and doing wrong, I think being able to just help people reach people that you're seeing online is good. But like now you're saying, well, we need an online campus. Mm-hmm. We're going to be on. And it's like, how do you really, you only attend online. How are you really doing community? Yeah, you're, mm-hmm. you're not. Because I don't think it's possible. I think it's mm-hmm. laughable. And I hope you agree with me. When we when churches had during COVID did drive by communions, yeah, yes, as if as if how do you do a drive by community? How do you do that? <laughs> it's an oxymoron. Yeah, it is. Drive by, you just order at the They were trying, Josh. They were trying. trying they were just trying to do something. Get your cup, bread, stale bread, and take it home. Did you see the one spraying the communion juice out of the oh, spray no. bottle? No, please no. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, the idea of communion is to commune to yeah. have communion to have unity to have fellowship with others with the holy spirit and with one another how can you have communion alone yeah. that's not community that's not community that's isolation yeah you know and um but to go back to why um why we've lost a generation why so many high school kids graduate high school go to college 
and just completely deconstruct all their beliefs because they're not rooted in they're it. They're not anything. rooted in it, yeah. So you take that tree outside. If I uproot it and I plant it somewhere else and I do that every five months or I do that every week, how big and healthy would that tree grow? Yeah. It'd probably die because it needs to be rooted. Yeah. And the reason the biggest, most massive trees are the ones that have been there for a long time and they're rooted deep into mm-hmm. the ground. And so this generation isn't rooted in anything because we haven't taught them anything worth being rooted in. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't have a biblical framework. Um, they, we've tried to lay a foundation, but it's a, a very rocky foundation. It's a sand foundation. I mean, it's not even concrete. And so they're not rooted in anything. They have no biblical worldview. So there's not much to deconstruct when they go to college. There's not much to tear down. Mm. Yeah. And so you have the college professors indoctrinating them, and, and they're asking hard questions, but we're not answering them as a church. Yeah. You know who it is? The world. world I've got mm-hmm. an answer for you, mm-hmm. and here's what you need to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, why, that's why Reformed theology is so, so popular, is because they are willing to answer questions that us church kids had that our youth pastors didn't want to answer. And they were hard questions. It's like, eh, let's ask pa- the senior pastor when he gets back. Or <laughs> <laughs> and so these kids, this generation, my, millennials and Z, they both want to answer hard questions, talk about hard things. They have lots of questions yeah, yeah. that the church isn't willing to answer. Mm-hmm. I and agree. We'll talk about oh, yeah. Well, I've brought, I mean, there's been times that I've brought questions and questions just about what I was seeing and what I was reading. And it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, brother, you just got to have faith or, mm. oh, you just got to. And it's like, really? That's, I don't know. Well, it didn't really mean that. I was like, no, I've looked at it in the Greek and the Hebrew and every other language you can think of. And it's, that's what it says. And that, this, is a good <laughs> this is a good point because that's what the, that's what the kids are doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are, they're willing to do the research. Yeah. They're, they're Googling like nobody's business. They're having conversations. They're looking at all of the all the things that they think that they can look at and they yeah. are talking to us yeah you know well you have you have but you have all these guys too that are now coming up that like they have their uh you know uh they go and they get their education but they're formulating all of these things where they're getting away from the word of god yeah mm-hmm. i mean you got i mean you literally have we were just talking about this the other day like i've i never thought in a million years that i'd see an actual church that calls themselves a christian church that then says they don't believe that the Bible is actually mm. the Word of God. Yeah. Wow. Like that being part of it. And then people celebrating like, oh, yes, this is so enlightened. Like we're just, oh, we've arrived. Woke. And it's like, it's so scary <laughs> to think like, like it's wow. like so you get to the place of, and then they're doing like uh, linguistic, what is it, linguistic gymnastics to try to make something say something that's not there. Wow. They're like, well, if you go back here and you go right. back there, and it's like, who told you that? Yeah. Like, so you're telling me for thousands of years, scholars who have studied the Word of God, they've just missed this, and all of a sudden you found it. Mm. And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yeah. So, like, that is an extra So I, again, I, you know, that is, that's just the, where we're at in society, is it is, it's become this individualistic, this, uh, you have a truth and I have a truth and all of these things. And so that's why there's such hostility building towards the true church of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because there, you literally, what you are saying is that no, Jesus is the only way. Mm-hmm. And if you don't agree, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, you can't tell can, me that I'm wrong. But again, we've done church for the last 15 years of telling people, oh, hey, you're good. You're all yeah. right. Mm-hmm. You know, so of course they don't want to be told they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, I mean, 
It, so it's our fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when I was talking about predicting that the church should have predicted the trends of the future, just like society does, the trends that they should have predicted was this I, the, the, the concept of uh, moral relativism and postmodernism. Um, and so moral relativism, anything goes, right? Mm-hmm. There's no absolute truth. Yeah. yeah. There's no absolute knowledge. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. The idea of you to you, that's moral relativism. Yeah. You live in a post-Christian society, post-Christian culture. Um, and even what's ironic about postmodernism, it's a worldview that says there is no worldview. It's a worldview <laughs> that says all of the worldviews are relevant. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it, it just breaks down. It's, it, it implodes, it contradicts itself, but it's what people believe. They believe no. it. It's foolish. Because it's something it. to believe in. Mm-hmm. And so because we, I mean, but that's the natural progression, right? When, you, yeah. when you've instilled individuality yeah. into our culture for so long, where did you think we would end up? Mm-hmm. Literally being individualistic, our own gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Christianity is collective, not individualistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's unity, but not uniformity, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's a collective society, not an individualistic society. So like yeah. what you were saying, the mind of Christ is the collective mind of Christ. Yeah. Well, you can't, I mean, it's just like, that is, that is our our common unity, right? Mm -hmm. Is Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what it should be. Is that no matter what we come against, where is Christ in this? And where do we get to what he wants? And what is, what is the kingdom here? You know, what does that look like? Because that's what we agree on. Even we might have differences of opinions and all this kind of things. But when we come down to these core, close-handed doctrinal truths of who Jesus is, these are not to be compromised. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can gather around. It doesn't matter your denomination, but unfortunately we have, there, there are some things I am excited to see though. You are starting to see denominations really start to go away. Yeah. And what you're starting to see now is networks. You're mm-hmm. starting to see people just, hey, we're on the same yeah. block. Let's get together. Let's work together. Let's go after our community together. You know, and, and really being able to take these open-handed issues that we might disagree on mm-hmm. and say, look, that doesn't really matter that much. You know, I mean, I, I'm excited to, to be in a place finally that I, I do know of people that come to church that do disagree on certain open-handed yeah. issues, but yeah. they sit there and they worship together and they mm-hmm. take communion together and they, yeah. they share and encourage with one, one another what Jesus is doing. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's beautiful. Like, Absolutely. you know, and I, and I think, you know, we, we've talk, we talk about this all the time, but, uh, you know, it's like a, a choir. You know, if everyone is singing melody, that's not that impressive. But yeah. when you put in the harmonies, yeah. mm-hmm. right, the different perspectives, mm-hmm. but we're singing the same song. Amen. You know, I mean, there's something beautiful in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, I feel like that's where denominations has taken us. You know, we've split the body of Christ into factions, yeah, uh, which is supposed to be impossible, yeah. right? So it should be divergent. Yeah, <laughs> divergent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so anyway, <laughs> no more bad sci-fi. I'm so glad that I have all of these smart people around me. They can they can talk back and forth across the table, and I just go, uh huh, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah that's same. I don't know. Sorry, I, sorry. I don't know how to words until we explained it. I was like, who's what? hosting this this podcast? We are hosting it together. We are all parts of the. <laughs> I was just told there would be free food. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Well, Wait, there's lied. free food? No, definitely lied to you. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> you guys, I, I, I appreciate you so much. Um, we 
want to keep it within a certain time frame, so we're going to kind of close out. If we want to continue, we certainly can. Is, but that, is that, I, that Baptist in you? That's the Baptist in oh, you. Yeah. That's wow. that box that we're in there. <laughs> and, uh, we're gonna, we're Religion. Religion. I'm just So seriously, thank you guys for being willing to uh, take your time away from your families and the things that you've got going on to come and um, share your thoughts and your passion, your vision and ultimately uh, the mind of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So we appreciate you and um, thank you. So until next time, you guys, just know that you are so very, very loved.